Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. Episode of the 9420 podcast. That sound was Forgot to Remember to Forget. And Greg, you actually chose this song um, to start out our episode with. So why don't you give us a little clue as to why you wanted us to feature that music? Yeah, sure. I was in um, listeners to the show will, will know that one of our rules here is that we use music that uh, is fully licensed. And so I was um, perusing the catalogs at podcastmusic.com, and I found the tune, and I, I liked it. I thought it was cool, well done, well rendered. And kind of, kind of a throwback, right? Yeah, it's kind of a throwback, vibey thing. Um, Al Jolson. Yeah, <laughs> and it comes, it comes from an album um, that was uh, put up by one of the background music catalogs that is up at uh, both podcastmusic.com and the larger parent company, Source Audio. And um, 
I, I just thought it was a really great track. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I hope uh, listeners did too. What's cool about it, it lends itself to a, an era, and it's pretty, I love this word, authentic to that era. It's pretty much, it's, it's true to the era it's trying to like um, emulate. You know yeah, what I mean? Like I, the, I, I completely believe that it's probably not an original track. I think that they- right, I think it was probably recorded- yeah. relatively recently yeah exactly so uh and um it's um i just thought it was real cool i enjoyed it so and that brings me to my favorite thing in music or my most important thing in music is like we talked about is authenticity yep. i think you can do anything you want to do any kind of art but you have to be authentic and and when it's authentic i think there's the i think humans have an innate ability to detect when something is full of it you know when you're full of baloney or or it's real and when something's real i think that's kind of you know endearing people you know respond to that you know so yeah. and i i think it i think it uh, cuts across all media i mean the fact of the matter is that listeners won't know but we um we scrapped a couple of uh, attempts to do an episode this week because i had a relatively crappy week and i thought it would be entertaining to rant for 30 minutes uh fact of the matter is that really ain't that interesting. It's not that interesting. Well, what, you're, what you're saying, like being authentic, can still be crappy. You can be yeah. crappy. Yeah, you authentic. can have a crappy week, but I, I'm I'm not really the kind of person to rant like that. And so uh, we anyway, attempted, right? So, but, but I'll tell you something funny. I've been listening to podcasts now. Now that we're doing what, because I, I never really listened to that many podcasts myself. Right. But now that we're doing one, I've started to listen to others. And there's one I've stumbled across that I recommend. It's called Origins, and they just talk about how things began and stuff. And it did this six part series on one of my. My favorite, probably my most, my favorite film, it's called Almost Famous, which is about the music industry in the, in the, in the early 70s. And I love that movie, you know, because, and it's 20 years later, so it's a 20-year retrospective on that film and how it was put together. But what I love about that movie, and I just, because of this podcast, I rewatched it literally this morning. Because I just wanted to see it again now, and now with all these new, because they had all the all the actors from the from the movie talk about how they got to be in the movie and what they went through to get you know, to do it, and uh, it's just so authentic. Because I grew up in that time; that was my time. I was that age of those people in that day, and it was so authentic and so right on. Because most most music films aren't; they're hokey, they're cliche, you know. And but this one is just nails it for me. So if anybody, I recommend if anybody wants to know what the music industry was like, you know, in America in, in in the early 70s, I highly recommend, you know, Almost Famous. It's a Cameron Crowe movie. It's great. Yeah, we should do, I mean, you are so passionate about this film. We should do a, an entire episode on Almost Famous. Well, because and- what was cool about it, like I was just telling you before, there was one scene where, you know, the guy Cameron Crowe hires Peter Frampton, who was in Humble Pie and Peter yeah, he, Frampton, he was, solo career. He was he in was, he, Frampton Comes Alive. <laughs> yeah, he was in the 70s. You know, he was a big artist of the 70s as the consultant on the movie. Also, his, at the time, his wife, um, Nancy Wilson, who was half of Heart, you know, the movie, the, the band Heart. So they basically wrote the songs and, and, and the consultants. And there was one scene where they're doing this live show at, the, at I think it was The Garden. And they had this like metal barrier, you know, in, at the front of the stage. And after they filmed the scene, Frampton goes, you know, Cameron, we got to reshoot that. Why? 
because they didn't have those metal barriers on the stage until basically the mid-80s. Back before then, it was like all these wood. And he's saying because it wasn't authentic, they had to scrap it and then rebuild these wood things that were from the 70s. It's very it just, expensive. Well, yeah, but but if you watch the movie, it is so detailed and so authentic. And being a musician, because I hate when I'm in, I get insulted like that. I see like these guys circa 19, you know, uh, 55 rock movie, and they're, they're playing like a an 87 BC Rich guitar. I go, what? Come on. Yeah. You know, so anyway. I think the most famous is uh, when you see um, supposedly there are people wearing wristwatches as extras in um, the Ten Commandments. You know, it's like <laughs> or the big That's debacle a- last year with Game of Thrones, where there was a couple Starbucks cups apparently left in it. <laughs> exactly. But people, I was, uh, people pick ahead. up on that and they call and they call you out for it. So the the movies that really lend to that, and even the music that kind of lends to making sure that it's that authentic, truly do stand out. What do they call it in film when you go and you sit or you're sitting on your couch at home and the willing suspension of disbelief? So, you know, if you're caught up in a story or if you're caught up in a film and then something like that kind of jars you out of the experience. Yeah, it's it's pretty bad news. Well, what, what, what I think what people, a lot of directors or lesser directors or lesser, you know, they feel most people don't care or, or will notice. Like most basic people will not notice if a guitar is was made in 75 or 83. They don't know the difference. But to, to people like ourselves, you know, people yep. in the business, yep. you know, another great movie like that, which, which to me I praise – um, Tom Hanks for um, that thing you do. That was another movie. That was another one of the rare ones that really nailed the time. And he took really painstaking, you know, the detail as far as you know the mics they used and how things were recorded back then. And like it was really done really well. I, I just love, you know, when they don't insult you. You know, and, they, they I, just- and, I, and I have the opposite experience. I don't, I I don't know what it is, but I really love Elvis movies. Right, so. It, yeah, but that's a one, different thing. One, one right? of my favorite, one of my favorite things is when Elvis plays guitar in the movies. You know, it's just to see how out of sync, you know, what he's doing with his left hand is for what you know the music that's actually being played on the track. Oh, I, I love hate it. That. I th- oh, I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. No, well, for Elvis, it's cool, but I hate when I see like these, <laughs> these, these, these basic movies where the girls are cellist and or the guys a, a guitar player and, then, and they're just doing like with their mitts, like they're just mitting the fingers and they're doing all these. It's, it's, it's come it's on, crazy. It's so funny. Even but, the monkeys early in the days, they, they they were it was hokey the way they were lip syncing to the music because they didn't really play it. Back or then. or like, what's worse is when they cut to somebody who's actually playing the instrument you know and you see like hands that don't look like the hands right. gonna, oh my word just a stupid thing about that about cameramen I, I've, I've done videos and you can go to my website carlocker.com there's a video of our band from the early 80s doing this one song and there's there's three guys me rhythm and guitar this bass player and a lead guitar player so anyway i'm I'm obviously the rhythm and guitar player just strumming all of a sudden it goes to the lead the guy zooms in on my hands (laughs) idiot and then finally like towards the end you see him like slowly pan over to the other guy because he's the one doing the lead i go why don't you even pay attention Cut. (laughs) but it was like one of those things you have a lot of money said that was it but Right, you know, I tell you, but even look at anyone who wants to really check into this. Go to the 
Ed, Ed Sullivan on the Beatles for the first time. They're, they're, they're focused in. The, I Want to Hold Your Hand was sung by John Lennon. But they're focused in on Paul, and Paul's just sitting there playing the bass, and you hear the singing, the face, man, the yeah. famous face. Yeah. But yeah. John's singing, like, come on, guys, you know, duh. So anyway, it's a, you know, I I guess it's I guess it's something. I think you're right. It's it, we have an intuition about it, uh, and I I think that our sensibilities are heightened because we, you know, I mean, we're we're musicians, and we we um, have spent our life, you know, listening and watching and and being immersed in music. So when you put something on the screen, you know, it has to be right for us. Otherwise, uh, you know, it's just not a great experience. I, well, I'll tell you something funny. Again, right. If, if you, whatever you're a professional in or know about my sister, when my sister rides horses, you know, she's owned a horse. And yeah, matter of fact, she bought a new horse just recently. She knows all about horses. So I went and saw like two movies with her. And one was electric horseman an old movie by, another one was Black yeah. Stallion, these two movies. And for both of them, I'm thinking, this is great. Look at this horse. And then when, when I sat with her, she goes, it's like six different horses. I go, really? <laughs> I, go, I can't tell. Go, oh, yeah, I can't. I go, you can tell? He goes, of course I can tell. Look at that one's this, this one's doing that thing. I go, really? I'm thinking like it's this great seamless, how do they get this horse to do all this stuff? He goes, like with, with Electric Horseman, that's a Robin Redford movie and Jane Fonda, a great movie, by the way. Yeah. And she goes, that isn't the same horse. The, the horse walking through the, the casino isn't the same horse that's on the range. I go, really? Uh, yeah, you couldn't. You could have fooled me, and you but, did. But, she, yeah, but yeah. she knew because she was into right. horses. So I right. guess anything you know about. So I think it. You know, it also works if you don't. If the audience really doesn't know that much about it, or if they've, or they're just kind of uh, desensitized to it. I uh, over the weekend I uh, saw one of my favorite movies of all time is Tombstone. The Western right. was made, and there was a documentary that is that the you know, one with uh, Kurt Russell? Yeah, Kurt Russell cool. right. and um, Val Kilmer. Val Kilmer, right? It's a really tremendous movie, but um, I was I was shocked at the degree to which they tried to put authenticity on the screen. There was one cool little factor they used uh, instead of um, instead of extras, you know, like just doing a cattle call for no pun intended. Uh, cattle call for uh, extras. They used reenactors, and so they did. They, oh, guys they, that are into this, for yeah, real, right? yeah. So I mean, the, these guys, their attention to detail, even though they might have been on the screen for ten seconds, it's uh, stupid, you know. Right. And they also kind of shot it in. Um, I think they shot it in Tombstone, or, or at least portions of it. And so the people, the extras, were actually staying on set. So they were camping, you know, they were kind of getting up and each day shooting, you know, they hadn't had a shower and that kind of thing, which lended itself to like, you know, what people would have looked like back at the turn of the century, you know, in a, in a, in a you know, uh, you know what I rough find and tumble Western town. Hollywood, though, again, we're kind of jumping topics, but again, with authenticity, why, why, why are the wigs and the mustaches always so hokey? Uh, I know. They're always. We've mentioned that before. They're so kind of bad, you know. Particularly in rock. I mean, if you do a movie about music, get the hair right, you know. Hell, we got a whole genre. We got a whole genre called hair bands, right? Get the the hair right. So chintzy, man. Get the hair right. Anyway. They used to sell beetle wigs, didn't they? Yeah, but the, you could they, buy they, them through the. Yeah, um, just, you could probably documents. still find them. If we ever do a um, photo shoot for ninety four twenty, let's all wear beetle wigs. 
I'll tell you, when I was little, like, you know, this, this is like one of my silly stories. When I was around, I guess around nine, you know, I, the Beatles, I, I just loved music. I, I went from I went from baseball cards to collecting Beatle cards, right? I remember when you were a kid, I don't know if you know about this, being a girl, Nicole, but when you were younger, what you did with cards is you flipped or, or you scaled them and you, and you play with friends and you flip cards and you, you can win cards. You know what I'm talking about, Greg? Yeah. Yep. So anyway, so I'd go out there with my pack of Beatle cards and nobody would flip with me. They, they all had baseball cards. I don't want those Beatle cards. I go, you know, because they they want they want to get Mickey Mantle or like, you know, you know Babe Ruth or yeah. Joe DiMaggio or something. Yeah. Not yeah. that I was a Beatle Talking about then. talking about regret, you know, I wish I had flipped you for all your Beatles cards. Well, you know They're probably what? worth something now, right? I know that the uh, Mickey Mantle, you know, he even said that he wished if he knew that his card, his rookie card would be worth like, you know, $60,000 back then. He said he would have kept a couple, you know, if he <laughs> <laughs> bought a box. Right. So, um, want to play some more music? Yeah, sure. let's play another let's, track. Let's do it. So who's the wonderful person? You, you found uh, this person we're going to play next, didn't you, Nicole? So actually she found us, believe it or not. Um, oh, cool. She messaged us on Instagram maybe like a couple weeks ago to let us know that her latest single was coming out um, and she wanted us to take a listen to it. And if we wanted to put it on our playlist, by all means, we're welcome to. So it came out, I want to say, like last week or two weeks ago at this point. Um, it's called White Tea. Um, and it was really great that we actually asked her if we could feature it on the podcast and she agreed to it. Cool. So this is Daniela White Tea. On a Saturday night, but we're not at the bar, we're in your backseat Playing all of his cards, looking out at the stars And then you kissed me And that was the start of me falling apart Have mercy I'm so into you, I let you break my heart And you wait me, wanna be
Yeah, that was a. I, I like that track. It's kind of, it's it's kind of new pop country. You know, country has really changed a lot. You know, since um, my days. You know, in New York in the in the seventies. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It's it's you almost know. become more mainstream pop now. You know. Yeah, I think she calls it EDM influenced. Of course, yeah, we, yeah. I think she calls yeah. she calls it. It's like pop country plus EDM is how she like right. defines the single. And it's it's a shame, really, because I mean, people um, if they're influenced by country and you know they want to expand their horizons as far as the way things sound, it's a, it's a difficult proposition for radio because you know sometimes radio identifies as more traditional sound or. Uh, identifies as a more classic or kind of straight ahead country. So there are, however, thousands of country formatted radio stations out there. So uh, I hope that track gets some traction. I, I, yeah, I thought all, it was enjoyable. I think today all the lines are starting to blur. There is no more distinct hip hop slash pop slash rock slash, you know, it's all just music now and like pretty much everyone's crossing over not so many like distinct genres anymore it's kind of all over the place which is which is good and bad you know hopefully more good i i hope that um people understand that you know this is kind of an organic authentic thing that that happens uh we're talking about authenticity um I don't think uh, there's an artist that came out, uh, he was a writer first, and then he had a, an artist career, and I think he continues to make records. His name was Sam Hunt. And uh, sure. when when I heard Sam Hunt for the first time, when I heard the first record that was released, I think it was like six or seven years ago at this point, but I think he was really, uh, he presented a groundbreaking album, and I think that it had that, you know, the lyric had that meter, that kind of hip-hop, feel and that record sounded different more different than anything that was on the radio at the time and people responded to it he was also writing for kenny chesney and for others so they were starting to pick up the feel and um you know i think they had a really good run i don't mind it i mean i'm i i love traditional country music and i also like you know these this more pop influenced stuff i think that might have something to do with the fact that there's been some pushback on female artists at country radio because i think uh, the female artists are are hip to it you know they're willing to change the sound in order i think to- it's always been the case yep yep you know women are more open to new things I, you know i'm like the opposite of sexist i think you know men are kind of thick you know being one myself you know <laughs> no I, I think women are more open to new things and you know they're more like hey let's check this out or they're more sensitive they can be you know and uh so yeah, I I, th- I think it's a shame that radio doesn't play more women. It, it shouldn't be, you know, it's 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 silly. Well, and I think they'd be shocked too because most of the most of the time, and you said this in the last episode, Carl, or not in the last episode, in the last time we tried to <laughs> to do this episode, the previous version of this episode, take four, but you had asked me, do do I gravitate towards listening to male country artists or female country artists? And I think there's a lot of misconception that women tend to listen to male country artists or whatnot because they're sexy or they're handsome or they just no, sound Greg good. Said that. Greg, Greg brought up the reason why he felt that, you know, it's become radio programs, mainly men, 
but because you feel the majority of listeners are women, Correct. women want to hear men, right. and you disagree. Which I totally right. disagree because right. while I enjoy listening to male country artists, I like champion female country artists, especially because more often than not, female country artists, especially if this, if their songs done well, they always give me the goosebumps because women just relate to women better than women relate to men, and they can talk and sing to that same point that women can be going through. So I think if sure. that misconceptions out there, if they were actually able to play more women in country on the radio, they would be pleasantly surprised with ratings because more women would probably listen into it. No, I think I think this is somewhat producer driven and I think it's super positive. Uh, it takes a, a, a special skill set to be able to, you know, put these tracks together the way they're sounding these days. I think the guy, I went back and did a little bit of research. I think the guy that produced the Daniela track, I think his name is Sid Menon. And he actually worked with an artist. I think he played in the band. And I don't know if he produced the records, but uh, an artist named Chris Lane that I had not heard of before. And so I went and listened to that album this morning. And that's enjoyable, too. So kudos to the producers that are willing to kind of put a different sound forward. And um, hopefully radio will respond. Right. But that's a different thing. To, that's a different topic altogether, because because sometimes you start getting like. You start hearing some artists you like, you find out who produced them, then you go listen to other people that guy produced, and then you realize what makes good what's good about these artists is the producer. Because he's he's putting his stamp on them. It's not so much Absolutely. what they're doing. Well, I mean, there was a sameness to I mean, that's one of the problems is there were there was a sameness to country radio and to the country music genre. There was a sameness for a lot of years because many people don't realize that for a period of 10 years, um, Nashville used basically the same 10 or 15 musicians to create every record. But interestingly enough, I mean, if you go back and you listen to pop music from, from the 60s and 70s, it is absolutely extraordinary the number of tracks performed by the same musicians. That, you know, uh, if, if it's um, the Wrecking Crew right. or, you know, uh, Detroit's version. What's amazing about it is that you... Yeah, the Motown you, band was like the yeah, same four guys. And you've got... And you've got these guys playing on hundreds of tracks, but yet there's not a sameness to any of it. You know, now, granted, I mean, most of them were pop arrangements, but fact of the matter is those people played and it sounded completely different by virtue of what artists they were working with. Whereas in Nashville for the last 10 or 15 years, all the records tend to sound the same. That's my opinion. That's my opinion. Because I don't think a lot of records today are being cut live like they used to be. They used to be where, you know, I, I don't think a lot of the bed tracks are being cut live. I think they're being constructed. Tracks are being built. Usually when you get three guys going in a room, at least you get the bed track, bass, guitar, drums, and maybe whatever, and do a track, scratch vocal, and then you add some overdubs. But nowadays, they're starting with a click, maybe you do an acoustic guitar, then they'll start adding things and nuances and bass lines, and, and they're building little piece by piece and adding some noises and some percussion. So it's not, it's being constructed. So it's becoming this production thing as opposed to just a performance. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Now, that's not to say, I mean, I don't want anybody to misconstrue what I'm trying to say. What the are people, you trying to say, Greg? The, the people that have made the records in Nashville for the last 10 or 15 years, they're extraordinary players. And if you put them in a room and let them play live, I mean, it, it, it's absolutely fantastic. But 
I think you're right. I think there's a lot of construction that goes on. Well, because 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 of so many artists right now, and because it's cheaper. You know, all these artists, none of these artists, very few of these artists are going into a studio. They're going to somebody's, you know, workspace, which is in an apartment or Correct. in like you know, where they have like a, a pro tool set up, and they're in like their bedroom or their living room, and they have a keyboard, and they're just you know creating tracks. And because of technology, these tracks can be really sonic, but yep. um. Yep. And that's what's happening. And they're building it because of plugins and all different sounds. Let's try this sound effects. And every producer has their, his or her own bag of tricks that they go to. So that's why certain things start sounding similar. You know, I don't know. So we started off talking about, uh, you mentioned the, the fact that since we, since we've been doing this podcast, you're kind of taking more notice about podcasting in general. Right. That's one of the things that I hope for over the next year or two is the idea that Commercial radio is also experimenting with podcasting, and I'm hoping that what the end result will be is that they'll be able to open up these uh, genres in such a way that podcasting for a commercial radio station, a country radio station, may become kind of a, a, a platform where you can discover new sounds and you can hear artists that are pushing the envelope. Maybe they wouldn't be able to get on the regular playlist at the station, but you could certainly feature them inside a podcast. And that's that's something I'm really looking forward to. I mean, I could, I'm old enough to remember back in the day where the things that you heard on FM radio, frequency modulation, was a lot more interesting than the things that you heard day to day on so AM, what is, what is, so what is AM, which was mean? king. That's amplitude modulation. See this, we're learning that. <laughs> learning new things each and every single yeah. episode. With yeah. that said, how about let's get to, what should we get to? Question of the week. Nice. <laughs> nice. You did it right. You did it right. Yeah. <laughs> what is the question of the week? Uh, this week, we had one really great answer from Hillary. And the question of the week is, what is something comical that has happened uh, to you this week, whether inside the music industry or out? Okay, let's hear what Hillary had to say. Hey, y'all. What's up? It's Hillary Reese. And the most comical thing that's happened to me this week was probably yesterday. My friend came over and she brought this new carpool karaoke microphone thing that connects to your truck and blasts your voice. So we were blasting Fergalicious and um, Gold Digger by Kanye West. And all of our neighbors and the people driving down the street were looking at us like we were the dumbest people alive. But it was so much fun. And let me tell you, they got a show. (laughs) Thank y'all for having me. And hopefully y'all weren't one of my neighbors that saw me busting a move last night. Bye. I think I think that's I I actually think that's a lot of fun. I I did not know that, that these things existed, but Nicole, you you've seen them, you've heard them, you you. I have you heard what? many different variations of these microphones that you could either plug into your car or outlet or whatnot, and they just amplify and blast everything. That's fun. 
It's it's hysterical. We've actually banned in our house anyone sending us any type of microphone for the sheer fact that I don't need to hear my daughter any louder than she is. <laughs> oh, like a toy for like, for oh, like a toy, but they they make those where like you can plug them into your car and they can sing into it and whatnot. And absolutely not, she's already loud enough. So <laughs> confession we- time. Do you guys enjoy or have you ever experienced karaoke? In oh, a- absolutely. Really, you like? Yeah. It? So. Before, like I was my own business owner or whatnot, um, and I was working in the corporate world, I worked for Minuteman Press, and there was a really good group of us that were very close. And it started at their World Expo in like 2000, 2010, I would say. And we were in Vegas, and we went to this like backdoor karaoke place. And for like six months straight after that, we would all go out and do karaoke, and our one song was um, Queen's Rhapsody. And we would all, like the five of us would take turns singing it in karaoke. And it was like, it's so much what, fun. Bohemian Rhapsody? Bohemian Rhapsody, uh-huh. yeah. But it, it's so, to me, it's so much fun. But in Nashville, if you're not a good singer, you can't do it. So I haven't <laughs> done it since I've been here. I, uh, I ascribe to the position that there's, no, I don't drink. I ascribe to the position that there there's nothing more sad than someone sober singing karaoke. But I have uh-huh. I've got I've gotten up there a few times. I I actually really enjoy it. It's, what kind of song do you sing? Oh, I have I have some go tos. Um, I, I I think I do White Wedding pretty well. Billy Idol. Yeah, and I also think that uh, I can do uh, Born to Run pretty well. Ooh. You know, up Isn't here in New this, York, this is uh, talking about this is up up here in New York, man. Very the, sad. Very the worst sad. song because they do it a lot up here. But the big song up here in New York is like I want to kill myself. <laughs> Is total eclipse of the heart. Oh no! <laughs> you know, and like, oh, it's it's melodramatic. It's one of those Jim Steinman meatloaf guy songs. You know, uh, and like all these chicks sing it. I am one of those chicks, and at my bachelorette party in New York City, when we when they sang total eclipse of the heart, um, the group of girls sang total eclipse of the heart. Shortly followed by me and my sister duetting to Marvin Gaye's "Ain't No Mountain High Enough." Talking about tracks that need to be discovered or rediscovered, I wish we could get a version of that to a feature on the podcast. It, it would be difficult to license, but Carl, let me, I'm, I'm going to make a wager here that okay. you being the serious, uh, extremely talented, sometimes brooding artist that, that you are, I bet you've never ever stepped up on a stage and sang karaoke too. Well, you'd be wrong. Wow. Several times. Once a friend of mine had a big party and I sang, you can't do that by the Beatles. It didn't go over good at all. And then once I sang uh, another friend's party, I sang Desperado by the Eagles. And Ooh, some guy in the one. audience in the bar comes out to me afterwards. He goes, hey, man, that's pretty good. Did you ever think of doing this like for a living and for real? <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, nah, it's okay. You know, and this is back in the day when I was actually doing it, you know, so. That's fun. That's I almost got this. I almost got discovered. I I would have always thought that that would be so beneath you that you wouldn't. Oh, I, I used to work in a piano bar, you know, where I well, bartended. Well, that's true. That's and true. Occasionally, I went down there and played the piano and sang some hokey, like you know, uh, I, I I did cover stuff. I don't know. I never knew that. I I'm not. I'm not that. always been a brooding. Well, you know, sometimes you know, sometimes we talk about uh, you making another record and maybe me co-producing. Why don't we? Why don't we just do covers? <laughs> Okay, that could be interesting. I think that would be cool. Let's do it. Anyway, but you know, but time kind of flew. We're like forty minutes in already. Oh, so wow. uh, kidding me? Wow. All right. So, you want to talk us out, Nicole? 
Sure. Well, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the 9420 podcast. We hope you enjoyed listening to us for the last 40 plus minutes. For all of the show notes and links to any of the things that we've discussed in this episode, you can go to the website, the numbers 94 and the letters twenty.com to get all of those. Until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Bye, everybody. Bye.